This young man took uh, a bunch of three by five cards and on each one, he took 52 of them. And on each of the 52 cards, he wrote a scripture verse. And uh, one night, he took these over to his girlfriend's house and said, hey, I've got a great idea. For the next year, I would like us to learn a verse together. Each week, I would like us to uh, learn one of these verses. So he left the cards at her house, and so it went. For the next uh, 52 weeks, one verse at a time, they memorized a verse together. And at the, the, the last of the 52 weeks, the end of the year, he said, hey, um, I'd like to come over tonight. Let's, let's hang out a little bit. Let's do some things together. She's like, all right. And so he goes over to the house, and he said, hey, go get those cards that we've been memorizing together. Let's go through them. And so she got them out, and they were going through some of the verses. And he said, hey, look, there's something on the back. And uh, there was a bunch of colors on the back of each of these three-by-five cards. And, of course, she had noticed it and knew it was there, but probably didn't think much about it. And uh, he said, it's a puzzle. And so she took each of those cards and turned them upside down and started arranging them out on the table. And after she got the last card in place, she saw that what was written on the back of the cards was, Will you marry me? (laughs) That take the cake, the patience of this guy to wait 52 weeks knowing the question was on the back of the card the whole time and he never gave her a clue and and just everything that that represents it's such a picture of God and so I've asked my daughter Annie to run up here and help me with something because uh I got I can't stop thinking about how like God that young man was when he made this picture so uh Annie's gonna help me make a little puzzle for all of us today so you can just uh work here and the tape is behind there if you want to grab it out and Sean I I I have to be able to see their eyes so either less of this or more of that because I oh there you are good and is there a way I can do a little less of this because I keep wanting to go with that and that's uncool okay good enough if I see your eyes I can talk to you I don't talk to a wall very well there we go all right in the same way that this young man handed his girlfriend one piece of his heart every week for 52 weeks and it all led up to one big giant question our god did the very same thing and the first card he handed us was the story of a guy named adam and uh, he was the first man that was created he goes sweetie he was the first guy that was created and uh, god created him and created eve and i can't go into each of these stories or we would be here for like three weeks but the essence of this story is that god wanted to hang out with them and he did. He played in the garden. They, they, they ran together and they played together. And I can't even imagine what that kind of intimacy was like. But Adam saw God. They hung out. They were buddies. They were friends. He, he taught him how to garden. He taught him how to take care of everything and pruning and clipping and running. And he, we, it's hard for us to picture God that way. But that's the way that Adam knew God. Of course, Adam and Eve were told there was one tree that they were not supposed to t- uh, touch or eat. And it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they didn't listen to God. And we wouldn't have either had we been in the garden, lest we be too mad at Adam. He ran up and he t- uh, Eve took a bite and he, then Adam took a bite. And all of a sudden, sin walked into perfection. And our God is perfect and holy and he has no ability to have relationship with imperfect. And so God was pushed out of the garden by his own holiness or actually his the relationship was pushed out and Adam and Eve had to leave 
And in that moment, um, the Lord began rolling out a story that he was going to hand us one card at a time. And in each one of these cards, he reveals a little bit of his heart to us, a little bit about who he is. And when you put it all together, you see the big question that he's asking. And so over time, you know, the population expanded and Adam and Eve had children and they had children and they had children. And all of a sudden, there was a lot of people and it started getting real evil because that sin they took a bite of in the, in the Garden of Eden just started getting big. It was like yeast and it started working through the whole batch and so sin was everywhere. In fact, it was so bad that... Um, God just said he couldn't, he couldn't contend with this anymore, and so he had to send a big flood. But before that, he met this guy named Noah, and Noah um, got this opportunity to build an ark so that he could rescue his family and um, not, not die with all of the devastation that God was going to have to send to start over on the earth. So Noah and his family, they're rescued, and, and they come down, and there's the ark and the rainbow, and the I'll never flood the earth again, and it's really, really awesome. And so then all the population starts growing again, and God looks down on the earth, and he says, I think I'm ready to start entering this plot. I want to get a little closer to everybody. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to look over the, the crea creation that I've made and I'm going to pick one person and I'm going to start saying, hey, I want to make a nation out of, out of you. And it's inside of that nation that I'm going to actually start coming into, into all of this, this plot here and I'm going to get a little closer. So he chose Abraham. And Abraham was a really old guy, and he didn't have uh, the ability to have children. He and his wife were barren. And you, if you don't know any of these stories, I hope I'm just going to whet your appetite to go, I need to go read the Old Testament because there's a lot of great stuff out there. And how God is leasing these stories together. So Abraham and his wife, they, they have a son. They're like 100 years old. They have a son named Isaac. And Isaac is the firstborn of this new covenant. And God starts making promises to Abraham saying, I'm going to make a whole nation out of you. And boy, that's a whole story in of itself. Well, Isaac had a wife and, and she got pregnant and she had twins and they were Jacob and Esau. But Jacob had, that is an amazing story. If you haven't ever read the story of Jacob, need to read the story of Jacob. An amazing man very deceitful, got himself in a whole heap of trouble, but God really liked this guy, and they wrestled. God wrestled this guy. And uh, Jacob ends up having 12 sons. Can the McCready kids yell them out? Do you remember who their names are? Here, wait, say it, Annie. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. Very good. Okay. <laughs> so... Jacob had 12 sons, and they are the, called the 12 sons of Israel. Well, one of those sons was named Joseph, and the other 11 sons didn't like Joseph. They thought he was just his daddy's favorite, and so they decided to get rid of him, and they, so they sent him off to Egypt. This is Joseph. So they sent him off to Egypt where he was a slave, and he went to prison, and it was all bad and everything, but he loved God, and he honored God, and he ended up getting elevated to his second command in Egypt, and he was put in charge right in the middle of a famine, and he had this really great idea. And so all of the 12 sons of Jacob ended up coming and living in Egypt in the midst of a famine and they had sons and daughters and sons and daughters and sons and daughters and they multiplied and they ended up being there in Israel for I mean in Egypt for 400 years so in that 400 years um, at the end of it the Pharaoh changed didn't like these Israelites anymore started treating them bad made them slaves they cried out to God and at the end of 400 years God said I'll cry out for Moses and so here's another little card here's another little piece of God's heart and so Moses went and said, I got to go back and raise up. And, you know, you've probably seen movies about this part of the story. It's, it's a pretty good story. A lot of people talk about this particular card in God's heart. And so Moses went back, said, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. And they, he said that like 10 times. And then he said yes. And he let them go. And they left. About a million of them left Egypt. It was a big deal. So knowing that they entered Egypt as about 12 or 15 uh, men with all their wives and children, and they left as a nation of like a million people. So getting the picture here. 
Then there's an amazing story. They, were, they left and they got to part, God parted the Red Sea for them so they could walk across and, and, they, were, and they were not hindered. And God used the same sea to bury um, Pharaoh's army and kill them all. And it was amazing. And then he said, go in now and take the promised land because I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that I would give them the promised land. And it's your turn now. You, you're a nation. There's a million of you. Go take it and I'll be with you. And they sent 12 spies in to go spy out the land that they were about to go take. And they came back and 10 of them said, we can never do it because they're big and scary and monsters over there. And they're going to eat us for lunch. And two of the guys, uh, Joshua and Caleb said, no, it'll be great. Our God is with us. And this is a really cool land and we should do it. And they got really mad at Joshua and Caleb and they wanted to stone them and get mad. And they said, we're never going to do it. No way. And so that God got so mad at them. It's, this is one of my favorite parts of the story, which, oh, I can't talk about it. But anyway, God got so mad at him. He told Moses, he said, you guys go on in and, and take the promised land. And I'm going to give you an angel to go with you. Because if I go, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I can identify with this. Anyway, um, so Joshua had faith. No one else had faith. They all got sent to the wilderness for 40 years because God had to wait for all the complainers to die. So they all died in the wilderness. And... <laughs> Joshua and Caleb, they got to live, and they, they led the Israelites in, and they took the promised land. So now they're finally a whole big entire nation, and they have a land. And then it was very cool because God's like, here we are. And um, he decided, you know, we're going to have judges, and they're going to raise up, and they're kind of going to lead you, and they're going to speak on my behalf. And, um, and, the, and the kid, everybody was okay with that for a little while, and then they started kind of getting fussy, and they're like, well, all the other nations have a king. Why can't we have a king? Because we want to be like them. And so God was like, you're going to hate this, but all right. And so he gives them a king, and that all happens in the book of Samuel. But he said, you're still going to need a prophet. You're going to still need somebody to speak on my behalf. So he raised up Samuel and Elijah and Elisha, and all those guys came, and they spoke on God's behalf. So if you ever want to read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, great stories in there about God's heart. And he's still trying to write this story, still giving us this message one card at a time. Well, the Israelites, they wouldn't listen to the prophets. They hated them. Often they killed them. They stoned them over and over again. They said, stop talking the words of God to us. We don't want to hear what God has to say. We want to do it the way we want to do it. We want to do it like that nation does it. We want to serve our own gods that we make with our own little hands. And so God would keep sending the prophets going, return to me, return to me. I'm your God. Remember me? I'm the guy that used to hang out in the Garden of Eden and we play and we'd hang out together. It was me and you and you and me and it was great. And they didn't want that. So they killed the prophets and God said, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. You don't want to live without me, but they continued to do that. And so they got in trouble. God put them in time out and they were exiles for quite some time. God said, all right, if you want the other nations and their gods, I will give them to you. And so he sent them right off to what they wanted and they were slaves in other lands and boy, they got really, really sad and sorry. And in the midst of that, they were there and back and there and back and human nature. Then there was a period of the Bible, what they call the years of silence. Um, God was still moving and speaking, but they were still really waiting and there wasn't a lot moving forward in the story that God was trying to create. And then all of a sudden, there was one day when a high priest named Zechariah, it was his turn, like Miss Sue said, to go behind the veil. It was his day to walk into the Holy of Holies and speak to God in that once a year time. And the man Zechariah went behind the veil and he came out and he couldn't talk. And the strangest thing happened. His wife, who had been barren up until that time, all of a sudden was with child. And there was a buzz in Israel. Something is going on. And Zechariah couldn't speak it. 
but with signs, he tried to let them know that, there, that an angel had encountered him behind the veil and talked about a son that was about to come. And his son was to be named John, and he became known as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a wild man. I love God how he reveals his heart in this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this guy out there to announce that I'm about to come and he's going to be whacked out, wild, freak everybody out. He lived out in the wilderness and he wore stuff, camel's hair, I think, wasn't it? And he ate locusts and wild honey. Wowie zowie. So he, he's freaking everybody out and they're all going out to hear what he has to say and they're like, maybe this guy's the Messiah. And John the Baptist says, I am not the Messiah. I'm just telling you, I'm preparing the way for the Lord because he's coming. He's coming and the Messiah just so happened to be his cousin. Because when, when Zachariah's wife got pregnant at the very same time, or, six, or near there, six months later, an angel went and visited a young girl named Mary, surprised her half to death, and announced that of all this I just handed you, all that I just painted, he said, you're the one. I've been watching and I've been waiting and I've been handing people one card at a time to reveal my heart. And you're the one. The Holy Spirit's going to overcome you and you're going to bear a son and he's going to be my son. And we had the birth of Jesus. And it was a scandalous birth. Do you get the heart of your God? He digs this stuff that upsets us. It's like they're going to be talking about this one for centuries. And we have been. I am going to impregnate a virgin. And they're going to be flat on their back, scratching their heads, and, or raising their fists, saying, it can't be. But that was God's plan. He, he, he knit this amazing story together. And then Jesus, he, the whole life, he was pretty incognito until he was 30 years old. I mean, he had a couple little moments, but the Bible's like pretty blank until he's 30 years old. It drives me crazy because they have so many questions about what it was like to be Jesus and be a teenager. But he, he made it <laughs> all the way to 30 years old. And at 30 years old, he starts to do an amazing thing. He shows up out when John the Baptist is preaching, saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And he just walks down into the water and says, baptize me. And as he's baptizing him, God talks out of heaven. You know, God was like, oh, I got to say something. He's been like, and finally, when Jesus goes under the water and he comes out, he's like, this is my son whom I am well pleased. It's like, did I say that out loud? And that dove flew down on his shoulder and he's like, that's him. I'm there. I'm coming close. And Jesus began his ministry. And that three-year ministry that Jesus did and wrote about, or the gospels were written recording that three years of ministry. I'm going to tell you what, there is not one man on the face of the earth that only ministered for three years and has entire universities studying his life and his works. For 2,000 years, we studied those three years that Jesus walked among us. It was so rich. It was so deep. God was revealing himself to us in more than one card at a time. He was throwing cards by the hundreds every day. Every step he took, everywhere he went, I'm here. This is who I am. This is how I act. And they didn't like him. Because he, he didn't do anything right. He hung out with, with partiers and, and he drank too much and he ate too much. And, and he, he, he got the Pharisees all upset and he pointed fingers and he spoke truth. And he healed people and he loved people and he laughed with children. And people said, no, don't bring the children to him. And Jesus said, bring the children to me. I am here. I want to be with you. I want to play with you. And then at the end of three years, the last card was his death. 
The next to last card was his death. And that was a day that, that shook the world. We still haven't recovered, nor will we ever, from the day that God died. But that isn't the end of the story. But the Pharisees so wished it was the end of the story. Oh, he's dead. Good. Period at the end of the sentence. Now we can all go on with our lives without the, in, the hindrance of this guy who doesn't fit our idea of what a Messiah was supposed to be. And then on the third day, there was this earthquake. This enormous earthquake. And it wasn't something that anybody could ignore because dead people were shook out of their graves and they got up and they walked around in town. God wanted to make sure nobody missed this. It was the resurrection of God. He defeated death. He rose back up as our risen Savior. And that was period at the end of the sentence. And um, following this, was the birth of the church where God said, now you be my people, my spirit's going to dwell in you, and you go out there and tell everybody those stories. Start handing out those cards so everybody can know. And when you put the whole story together just like that young man did to his girlfriend, one card at a time, he was asking us a question. All of it is just to ask us a question. I don't know if you guys can uh, see this. Not, let's just sit over here. Man, Annie, thank you so much. I'm not an artist, but it says, will you love me? Will you love me? One card at a time, will you love me? And that's the question that he's asking us right now in the orange pill together. Will you love me? I love you so crazy. Like, I love you so crazy. I keep handing you all these cards and telling you my story. And I went so far. I went so far. And, and I wrote this beautiful script. And it was all for you. And so there's this great invitation from God. Will you love me? And there's two little moments in this story that I just want to take, if we could take a, a camera and like just do a lens that comes in real close. I want to do a close-up on two moments where I feel like God revealed his heart in such a way that it's so overwhelming and hard to look at. Miss Sue was starting to talk about it. When the, when the Israelites were in, uh, in one of their first timeouts when they were in the wilderness and they had to wander for 40 years until all the whiners died, in the midst of that time, if I had been God, which we are all very thankful that I'm not, but if I had been, I don't think I would have gone with them to the wilderness. But God did. He went. He was there in a form of holiness, and there was discipline, tremendous discipline, but there was also provision. And at this time, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet, so he said, I'm going to come. I want to come be with you guys. Do you hear the heart of your God? I want to come. I'm going to be with you. So you're going to be wandering in the wilderness, but see, you're going to have to make accommodations for me because I'm really big and I'm really holy. So if I'm going to come move into the neighborhood, I need you to build a certain house for me and I'll tell you exactly the way I want it built and I want, I'll tell you exactly every piece of furniture that's supposed to go in it because I know exactly what I need to be able to be with you. But I really want to be with you, so it's worth it to me, so go build this. And they did. They collected it. They collected um, all the money and stuff that they needed to build this tabernacle. And I'm, we're going to show you just a real short uh, picture of what the tabernacle was. 
I love this animated picture. Can you imagine the, the little uh, background there is all the tents of the Israelites in the wilderness for uh, the 40 years. This is the way they lived. And right in the middle of the tents is God. Now, do you get a picture of where did he place himself? Did he like to be the outskirts guy? No, he said, put me right in the middle. I love being right in the middle. And so every time you go out to get the newspaper, you look up and there's God. Good morning, Lord. This is the outside of the tabernacle. And the reason that there's this curtain all around it is because God wasn't able at this point to come and just hang out with us because he was so holy. And if, we wa if he wandered out or if we wandered into his presence, we would die because his holiness would destroy us. And so this was a protection. And there was a lot of rules about how you could enter here because God loved us. And he's like, you better stay out there because I know my holiness will devour you. You can't bear my presence. So do exactly as I said when you approach me. I'm here, and I want to be near you, but come in the way I say you can. It won't work any other way. So he built a tabernacle. You walk on in, and the very first thing you're going to see, <coughs> excuse me, is the brazen altar, and this is where they had to make sacrifices. Do you get a heart, the heart of God here? The first thing in the door, it's about forgive me, right? First thing in the door, it's about please, you know, I know how holy you are, and you're good, and there's a lot that could be said about that. You go on deeper in and the next thing that you're going to see is the laver and that's where the priests they had to wash their hands ceremonially remember i got to get really clean to go into god's presence he's really holy and there's a whole bunch of symbolism and all that so i don't have time to talk about but they'd go to the laver and they'd wash themselves and and go on down and then the next part that they would go to would be the holy place now this place was even veiled off again so not only we have the first veil and the outer court, but now we got another veil. And this is the holy place. And only priests get to go in here. And they go into the holy place that's set apart. And it's all gold on the inside. And there's two pieces of furniture in there. There's a table of showbread. And then there's the menorah. There's three pieces. And then there's the altar of incense. And these three pieces, this is the menorah. And it's light that is to light up and burn. Oh, gosh, I wish I had time. There's so much symbolism. It's rich in God's heart what he's saying. What I want before me is this light that was never to go out. The table of showbread was to remind us of his provision and it was filled every day with the bread and it smelled amazing in the holy place because the candles were lit in <laughs> the showbread. And this is the altar of incense. And this was a bowl of sweet smelling incense that was always burning before the Lord and it smelled great. And in Revelation, we're given a picture where that is actually our prayers. That's a bowl of our intercession before God. And then there's still another veil. And now we're entering into the Holy of Holies. And this is where the Spirit of God literally dwelled. And this is the Ark of the Covenant. And you've seen the movie, Indiana Jones, where they're trying to get to the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where God's presence was. And wow, there's rich teaching inside of that. But do you see the three veils? I'm here and I want to be with you. But there's these veils. And only one priest can come once a year. <laughs> that wasn't where the Lord, he wasn't satisfied to keep it that way. And that's why when Jesus came, there was a significant moment. Many of you know it who've gone to church your whole life, but most of you, some of you here may not know there's one little significant symbolic moment and it's only written about in the scriptures just in one little teeny sentence. But it happened the moment that Jesus died on the cross. He breathed out in, in, the, in Mark uh, 15, 37 through 38 with a loud cry. Jesus breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In the moment that he said, it 
is finished. Period. The story has been written. It is finished. And in that moment, the Spirit of God could reach up, grab the top of that veil that had separated him from us for all those years, and he tore it. Don't you know he did it from top to bottom so we would know for all the ages that it was him who tore it? He tore it and said, never again will I be separated from my people behind a veil. And then if it weren't clear enough, <clears throat> Hebrews uh, 10, 19 through 21 says this amazing thing. I want you to hear it. Please listen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, you remember the tabernacle, you have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that was his body. And since we have great priests, have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Do you understand why the Israelites had a real hard time with Jesus? Because they remembered this God who lived in that veil that was so far away from us and he scared me. And this priest could only go in once, once a year and now here's this Jesus and he's sitting down and his hands are dirty and he's eating fish with me and he's playing with my kids and he's tickling them and he's saying, I'm God. I'm God. This is me and I'm right here. Draw near to me. It was so hard for them to understand. No, you can't be God because you're right there. But do you know, Highland Christian Church, that that wasn't even enough for our God to be trapped inside skin and bones? When Jesus went to the cross and resurrected from the dead, he earned the right to make the holy of holies live inside your heart. He said, I'm not satisfied. I want to get closer. I want to climb right inside your existence, right inside your thoughts. I want to live right there. And I want to hang out. And today, <clears throat> I rented this red carpet to roll down the center aisle. And as I was praying about this uh, talk coming on Sunday, I really felt God, you know, gave me this little picture of that's what I did. When Jesus went to the cross, I rolled the red carpet out right into the holy in place and said, come in close, come in close and speak, come in close, come closer to me, because we've been carried to the table, we're seated where we don't belong, we're carried to the table swept away by his love and I don't feel my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord carried to the table seated where I don't belong and when I get to sit here can I tell you it is effortless to, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, 
and it's so beautiful. And Jesus and me, we are mutually satisfied. He's getting what he wants, which is me. And I get what I want, which is him. And that's intimacy. That's drawing near. Now, we're going to go into a time of communion and worship. But before we do, um, or the guys can come, and I just have a couple things I want to say real quick before uh, Shannon leads us. Just in case there's anybody here who feels like, I think that's an amazing story and I really like it, but I don't know how. I want to close by this. Jesus wants us to live in this secret place. And I, I drew this little picture. It'll just take me a cup, just two minutes to say this. Deep within the center of the soul, there is a chamber of peace where God lives and where if we will enter it and quiet all other sounds, we can hear his gentle whisper. This is the throne room inside your heart. And I know you can't see it from far away, but just trust me. It's the throne, the rainbow surrounding the throne, the throne of God, the throne of Jesus, the river of life. It's what's described in Revelation. And that, when we become a Christ follower, God sets that up. He builds the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. He builds it in our heart. And now how do you live your life from that place? Let me tell you what happens is when I abide here and I stay here all day long, I am moving in the power of Christ in me, not in my flesh. And I've had conversations with several of you over the last two years. Well, Sherry, how do you do it? Well, how do you keep that pace up? Well, how do you do all this? And I want to tell you, this is how. It's by, it's by remaining in the presence of Christ as best as I can all day long. I've been trying to do this diligently for the last four or five years. I am about four or five years old in my ability to do it. So if you can imagine a four or five-year-old, that's about what I look like in the ability to stay in God's presence. But I'm getting better at it every day. And it isn't easy. But it has revolutionized everything in my life. Because when I'm tempted... To move out of the holy place and go, oh no, God, really, I'll take it from here. And I step into my own mighty strength and I make a mess of everything. Then I can move back into his presence and go, how about I stay and you go? <laughs> and for me, it looks very practically like this. I used to have a real hard time yelling at my kids. True story. My kids uh, were little. And I would lose my patience and be, ah! I said you better all these angry faces I was making and yelling and doing all this kind of stuff and uh, thank God they survived grace of God is present but regardless I was an angry mom and my kids can give testimony to this now instead of me raising my voice since I've been trying to stay in God's presence and hang on to the throne when I am really tempted to run out there and take care of matters myself I feel the pressure building inside Something's irritating me. They need to be disciplined. This is hard. I feel stressed. And I'm still in the throne room and I'm hanging on, literally like hanging on to the throne going, please God, help me. What it's turned into is um, now instead of disciplining my kids by yelling at them, I sing opera to them now. <laughs> Isn't it the truth, Isaac? And they know, they'll feel it like I'm scrambling the eggs and I'm like, it's time for breakfast. They don't come, time for breakfast. And I'll go, it's time for breakfast. Sorry, everyone. And they're all like, wow, she's mad. So she'll all come in. 
So I'm getting there, and if I had time, I'd tell you a lot more funny stories about how God's changing me little by little. It's coming, but it's not me. It's his presence beginning to move itself out and become incarnate, God living in me. And uh, his love for children flowing through me, his love for the lost flowing through me, his love for the people of God, his love for his Father beginning to flow through me. And that's what it's about. And if we had a whole retreat, we could talk more. But that's the end of that. So.